everybody. Welcome to today's podcast. And today I am joined by one of our ATP coaches, Bronwyn. Uh, Bronwyn has a really interesting story and an interesting background from where she is now and where she came from. Uh, so Bronwyn is going to share her story with you. And what we're hoping from this podcast, our intention from this podcast is that you come away from it just having to think about where you are right now, um, having to think about are you doing the right thing for you right now in your life and also just learning from I suppose some of the mistakes that both Bronwyn and myself might have made uh, in our younger years and you kind of stop yourself if you feel you're making those mistakes and give you some guidance in regards just looking after yourself and making sure that you're number one and we really hope you enjoy the podcast so we want to start by some of you might know Bronwyn uh, a lot of you might not uh, so Bram is going to introduce herself and tell you a little bit about what she's doing right now and where she came from. Cool. Uh, yes. Hello. So for those who don't know me, my name is Bronwyn. Uh, first thing you might notice is I am not Irish. Um, I come from the States um, I'm a personal trainer with ATP fitness have been for just about a year now. I am also a health coach for performers that includes dancers, singers, actors, aerialists, musicians. And I also have the pleasure of teaching gym in secondary school. So a bit of a mixed bag for me. And that's how my life has been really since I can remember. I went to university to study dance and business management. So my degree is in dance and business management. And in that time, I had to learn how to be really adaptable, really malleable, and basically a shapeshifter. Um, because that's what my performing career was going to turn out to be. Um, when I went to study at university, it was all about learning how to adapt, learning how to adapt quickly, and learning how to be resourceful. And so in that time, I did a lot of shape-shifting myself, and that was at the encouragement of a lot of my professors and everything else. And so in that time, you know, when you go to university in the U.S., you start at age 18, you might start at age 17, but you're very young, you're very impressionable, um, and you're very susceptible to listen to what teachers tell you, what professors tell you, and take that on board and kind of run with it. I was very eager to make the right impression. I'm a perfectionist, so I was very eager to be perfect. And I lost sight of myself uh, when I was at uni. And I didn't realize that until I was in my mid-20s, I'd say. I just kind of, well, yeah, I just lost sight of myself. And I was doing everything to try and please a professor um, to make sure I was going on the right track that I was told was the track that I was going to be going on because of my body type, because of my personality. And so when I graduated from university, I knew what my plan was. And my plan was to move to New York city to be a dancer. So that's what I did. I moved to New York city. I wanted to do that in the first place, no matter what. Um, but when I moved to New York, it was a means to an end. I wasn't moving to stay there. I was moving to leave, to get work and to leave, which is exactly what I did. Um, as a dancer, I performed in theme parks in the US. I also worked on cruise ships and 
both in the dancer capacity and an aerial dancer capacity, as well as a dance captain. So it was a very rewarding part of my life to be a performer, to be paid to perform, be paid to dance, and to be paid to be a dance captain, to lead a cast, and to make sure the cast stay healthy, stay sane in their contracts, and to stay injury-free. Um, but one of the biggest challenges I face in my industry, both as a personal trainer, as a performer, as a coach to performers, as an educator to future performers, is that of helping performers see that we are doing what we do for ourselves first. And that was always preached to me when I was in college, because it was like, if you're not yourself on stage, people won't want to watch you. People won't feel what you're trying to convey. Performing is a very interactive um, art. It's a very athletic art, but you know, if you're, again, if you're trying to be somebody else, which is what I was trying to be, people won't notice you. You won't book work and the work that you do won't be very satisfying when you're on stage. So that's the biggest battle that I continue to fight as a coach and as a trainer is just helping everyone, both performers and high performing humans, you know, working moms, working dads, people in management positions, people in educating positions, just helping people understand that what you do is has to be for yourself first. Um, because one of the biggest challenges is all of a sudden you graduate from university, you realize you don't know what you're doing because you're not yourself. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, I think that gives a, a small insight into Brahmin. So what we're going to do now is we're going to just jump in between all that and kind of have some questions, I suppose, where we're going to start with. So what I'd like to start with is just go right back to what made you want to go to college to be a performer what was what was the thing inside you that said this is what I want to do and did you know what that profession entailed so did you have an idea because I think a lot a lot of the time you'll see a lot more like a lot more now this podcast is coming out just around the college and CAO time as well you know what I found and myself personally is pick a course don't really know what that course fully entails but also definitely don't know what that career entails what it actually means in regards to working life so what brought you to dancing and did you go in there with knowing what to expect or was it like oh my god this is not what I expect totally I so I knew I wanted to be a dancer um I so I studied dance really intensely when I was in secondary school uh, in the U.S., we call it high school. So when I was in high school, I was in a hybrid program. I was in the morning. I had all my educational classes. Um, the yeah, the boring stuff. And then for the afternoons, I would be in ballet class every day, uh, even on Saturday mornings. Wake up, go to ballet class. So I kind of knew, like, I wanted to be a dancer. The program that I ended up going to for university um, was pretty much the exact opposite. Ballet was still a very strong foundation, but it was more about contemporary modern dance. So ditch the ballet shoes, ditch the point shoes, ditch the bun, ditch the tutu and dance in your bare feet. And again, like when I went to uni, I was like, right, I want to be a class. I wanted to be a ballerina. But when I was leaving secondary school and entering uni, I kind of went with the presumption of, I don't have the body type. I was a little more muscular at the time 
ballerinas were not muscular and we're still trying to break down that barrier in the performing world. Um, so going to uni said, right, this is right for my body type. This is cool. I can get into this. I can adapt to this. And I really do enjoy contemporary dance truly now, uh, enjoy contemporary dance more than ballet dance. Um, one of the biggest challenges, I think, realizing as I was graduating uni, it was that like my life was going to be a constant state of juggling jobs, juggling everything. Um, like I never anticipated setting alarms for 5.00 AM to wake up, to go sign in for an audition open call. That would be 300 women. And then sit around, possibly not get seen at that audition because I wasn't the right stereotype that the casting directors were looking for. And then being like, okay, great. Well, at least I have time to run to work. So run to work, which was either nannying or working in a restaurant or working in retail, all my survival jobs. And I did not enjoy, I did not enjoy any of my survival jobs. It was not what I wanted to do, but I just knew I needed a job to make ends meet. Um, So I didn't, have the time. I felt like I didn't have the time when I graduated from uni to kind of assess like, what would I want to do on the side to, that would be fulfilling to me, would also pay my bills and would allow me to still set my alarms for stupid o'clock in the morning to put on a full face of makeup to either go to an audition and be seen or to go to an audition and be told, no, thank you. We're not looking for five foot six redheads today. I think you've made some really good points there and one of the things how you can relate that back to everyday life and and right now is you know when you do a course when you do and you realize okay this is what I want to be but you don't actually know what that wanting to be entails and I see a lot of people I see even in older people now I see where they're in a job where it's just not fulfilling it's just not what they want to do and you use the term there called the survival job I think that's a really interesting term to use and I, I understand that I've been through a lot of survival jobs I've worked you know carpentry didn't like it I've done work in a bookmaker's a bear done, done lots of different jobs and I, I class them as survival jobs for me uh I do think like you know we'll talk a bit more about fulfillment later on but like not every not everyone can be in a job that gives them complete fulfillment and I understand that you know if your fulfillment comes from something else and your job allows you to be able to do that I think that's a that's a pretty cool way of looking at things but the other thing I wanted to touch on is the body type and the body shape and that stuff. And we're in a time now where I think it's it's coming around like a small bit. There's still a long, long way to go. Uh, but I won't give you your age, but a few years ago when you were in your early 20s, um, it's not that long ago, to be fair. But, <laughs> but uh, a few years ago, it was definitely more intense in regards how you had to look like not just for for dancing but i mean like you know to be a fit person or whatever it was like you know six pack abs and make sure you're you're as lean as possible that was the look i do think in small circles it is changing but i think from a teenager point of view now from a young adult point of view it's still very much there uh social media has has a huge role to play in that uh how do you find from where you were then and being okay i had to look a certain way did you take that on board as I don't look good enough or was it a case of were you in a place where you could be like okay that's just the industry I'm in and, and I accept that and do you think the, the, that industry that you're in now has changed in any way so when I when I started working for cruise ships 
um, I had to go through weigh-ins every two weeks on my contracts. So we got weighed when we first entered rehearsals because the way my industry worked when I was booking jobs in my early 20s, which, yeah, wasn't that long ago. Uh, it's It was all about appearance. But again, it was as a dancer specifically, it was that stereotype of being long and being lean. And those terms, those words, long and lean, had been ingrained in my brain since university because I had professors saying, you know, as a dancer, you need to be long, you need to be lean. It was this whole thing of, of being adaptable and being the right body type for everything. So, you know, we'd have, I had professors, again, on a daily basis, throwing out these words long and lean. And so I went to every end that I could to be long and lean. And there was a dancer who was a year above me in the program who I looked at and was like, okay, she's taller than me. So she's long. <laughs> and she was naturally lean. And I was like, well, I have to be her. So I tried to get lean. I couldn't change anything about my height, but I just tried to get as lean as possible. And then, you know, you get too lean and then you get called into an office and sat down and get a very serious, stern expression looking at you saying, you need to bulk up. And so start drinking smoothies with banana and peanut butter. And I just remember being like, that was helpful. <laughs> well, that so long and lean kind of stayed with me as the stereotype for a dancer. So every time I walked into an audition, I was comparing myself to who I thought was long and lean. It was anyone longer or leaner. What could I be doing? And that really stressed me out. And that actually ended up backfiring. I, I gained weight when I started auditioning for jobs in New York, which I needed to do for my health. Like my bones were not healthy. My joints were not healthy. I was in physio a lot for injuries throughout university. And so the fact that I was able to be injury-free once I had gained a little bit of weight, is really helpful. But so then I get into these jobs where I'm getting weighed every two weeks. And it was extremely annoying because that number got sent back to the office. And that number also kind of hinted at whether I was getting another contract or not. After my first contract, I had, okay, I had on my first contract, I'd gained 10 pounds. I didn't hear from my casting director for almost a year. And I know it wasn't because it, it was because I had started posting pictures on Instagram. I'd lost weight since my first contract. And all of a sudden, great, a spot opened up for you. We need you on contract again. I was like, okay, cool. That was really hard. And that's really frustrating because the performing industry, as well as the wellness industry, we're definitely, like you said, we're making a turn for health isn't a number on a scale and health isn't long and lean but we still have such a long way to go because we're seeing health and wellness as a means to stay, you know, as a means of going to our GP and having healthy blood work done. Um, as a performer, we're seeing health and wellness as a, as a means of staying injury free. You know, there have been numerous times on contract where we've had to send out for a replacement dancer or we've had to have a swing performer come in and cover a track while somebody rehabs from an injury because they're not in a good state of health. They're not able to train well, and they don't understand what strength training for injury prevention is. They don't understand what strength training for flexibility and mobility is. They just understand, do your show over and over. Once you get injured, we replace you until you're better. And then you come back in. 
So the health and wellness industry has had a positive influence in that we know that that's not right, but the actions to allow that to follow through and the actions to allow people to see both in the performance industry, as well as the general population of desk jobs, we're still having a hard time understanding where, right, we need to be strength training, we need to be active, not just to look good, but we need to be active so that our bodies can stay active as we age. We want to age healthfully. There's still a long way to go in that. Like, there's a really good point there that I've said before, uh, I'm like, health just isn't sexy. Yeah. And that's the challenge all of the time. It's like, you know, you're trying to sell health, to live healthily yeah. just isn't that, doesn't have that sex appeal as to like, you know, lose body fat, drop weight. And as much as like in small circles, I think there is a little bit of a turn as like, even I think since we've come back from COVID, something I've noticed is less and less people are asking me, Ian, can I hop on the scales? Ian, can I hop on the scales? Yes. So some people do want to whatever, but mm-hmm. a lot of no understand the volatility of it and understand it's, it's just one crazy factor that, that can jump up and down. Yeah. But I think until we can find a way to make health sexy, people join gyms, people, exercise not all people but a lot of people begin exercising or start back exercising because they want to lose weight and that's been the the driven factor but you have to blame again marketing society culture that's the reason it's like exercise is associated with losing weight and seeing pictures on instagram and unfortunately as somebody who owns a gym it is one really small part of health it's a, it's an important part of health but it's a small part of health and people are look at if I just exercise or if I just eat really little, I'm going to lose weight. And unfortunately, that's not the case. And losing weight doesn't necessarily mean being healthy. I think that's a, a big thing. Even when you come across with the performing people, if they're trying to lose weight by extreme dieting, doing something, you know, that that's going to will get them losing weight. But again, that's going to lead to injuries, but it's also going to lead to like the energy you need for a show and continuous shows is crazy. Mm-hmm. So like, when I teach a spin class, I'm exhausted. So I can't imagine doing that over and over again. Yeah. Uh, but like not, not fueling your body and not learning how to fuel your body. How do you feel for the industry you're in now, like in regards, you're in a, a gym setting now, but you were, and you still kind of are in the performance setting. From what you know from speaking and working with performers, is the education beginning to happen around nutrition or is it just on, like what you do on, on a sole kind of basis that you're seeing? So I think there is education that's starting to happen. I myself started studying, I, well, didn't start because, but I knew that down the line, I wanted to start studying nutrition because I had an injury when I was working at theme park, picture a spin class, 45 minutes, six times a day, (laughs) six days a week. That's what a theme park is. But so it's very easy for performers to get injured in that instance, very active, If you're not fueling yourself correctly, you're doing the same movements over and over again, you're going to incur injury. Had an overuse injury and I was in a boot. So I actually couldn't, I couldn't walk like, (laughs) let alone squat or lunge. So I had no idea how to rehab myself. I turned to food and it takes, it took a lot of guesswork, but I realized, yep, wasn't eating enough because again, going back to poor 19 year old me being told to be long and lean, just wasn't eating enough. And so I knew from that instance, working with nutrition, it was the only thing I could use to my, to my advantage to heal from that injury. 
I knew that studying nutrition would be important. And I knew that would play a really crucial role in coaching performers on how to be their best selves on stage and off. I think now in the health and wellness setting, in the gym setting, we've gone from trainers who are at the absolute extreme wanting the before and after photos, wanting the before and after of like, here, I've got this client that was flabby and now look at him or her, him or hers waistline is slim, arms are my ever favorite word, toned. We've gone from wanting those extreme before and afters in six weeks. We've gone from that to helping people understand that it is a day-to-day journey and it's a journey that lasts your whole lifetime. Like your, your health is not something to prioritize in a four week or a six week crash course. You might have a four or six week foundation course where you learn the basics of strength training, the basics of nutrition, but also the basics of stress management and sleep and recovery. We are taking that four to six week foundational course and we're allowing people to run with it for the rest of their lives. And I think that is huge. But I still think, especially coming out of COVID, all of a sudden, all of our bodies changed over COVID. Like all of us changed shape because of what we had to adapt to. When we initially came out of that first lockdown, we did see an influx of people coming back and saying, I want to lose weight. I've put on so much weight after that first lockdown versus after this third lockdown, we've got people coming in saying, I want more structure in my routine. I want to regain strength. I feel like I've got no strength. Like it is such a relief to not have people being like, I'm ready to step on the scale today. Like nobody's ever excited to step on a scale ever. And what you're going to see as well is like, you know, I think a big thing people have said coming back is like, when I ask people, what's your goal? Why are you coming here? Annoying people to, to make some goals. A lot of people said, I'm just training for my head, which is again, something that's amazing. Like if you're training because you know, it's going to make you feel better then that's an unbelievable goal because every time you come to the gym, you're actually hitting your goal. And I think that's a really important thing to, to note is that a goal doesn't have to be a weight loss goal. A goal we can, I'm going to do something that's going to make me feel better. And every time you do that, you're ticking the box of you've hit your goal. And I think when it comes to health and wellness, as I said, it's trying to make it sexy is the thing. Like when, when people come to us, it's like, are you ticking boxes? So are you eating nutritious foods are you exercising regularly are you sleeping are you managing stress levels are you drinking water if you're not doing those things then you need to start ticking those boxes and people have overcomplicated and overthink what being healthy actually is and i think it's about coming back to the boring and the basics when it comes to the training side of things if you're new to training then starting something is going to be enough so but what if you're somebody who does something outside of say gym work like you you are active but you're not doing resistance training so again talking you and the guys the dancers is if they come to you uh and they're saying i haven't done any gym program before but i've done a heck of a lot of dancing Mm -hmm. like what's your advice to them and where would you tell them to start because that's similar to somebody who's coming in from being active outside of the gym and doesn't know what to do in the gym yeah, it's, I mean, so we've had some people that have come to us as well recently in ATP that have been really avid runners or cyclers. And so they've come and they, you know, again, overuse injury. You're doing the same repetitive motions over and over again with running, with dancing, with spinning, all of that. And they're incurring small little injuries here and there. Start with a qualified professional 
please, the last thing we need to be doing is going to YouTube and Instagram and being like, oh, this influencer has loads of followers and she does live workouts at 10 a.m. every Friday. I'll do that. I'm like, does this influencer have a qualification or does she just have a large following? She or he? Like, I think that's the most frustrating thing. And again, it, it can be applied to people who are desperately seeking weight loss as well. It's like, we panic and we're like, who, where do I go? The internet. That's the most accessible thing. No, <laughs> just no, because yes, it's accessible, but the information that's being provided to you might not be coming from an educated source. Like there is someone that I really, that I really admire also a, a performance coach for performers, for dancers, for movers, for, you know, actors, all of that. She is a qualified personal trainer. And so she has gone through a course of study that has taught her how to cue squats, lunges, deadlifts, push-ups, lateral pull-downs, all the stuff that we cue in a gym, whether you're a dancer or not. But she's done a course that has certified herself to teach that not only to dancers, but to desk managers and teachers and all this stuff. So like having that firm foundation is really important. If you're going to somebody who is like, oh, I have a large following. I'm, I'm really passionate about fitness. Yes, passion about fitness is huge, but that passion is not education. Yep. So start from an educated source. And that's why I got my personal training qualification is I was in a dance captain. I was in a leadership position in the industry. And I realized people were coming to me as their dance captain saying, I'm injured this, I'm injured that. Do you know what stretches I can do? And it was all fine and dandy for me to say, yeah, you'd want to look into joining a gym. You'd want to look into a strength program. I wanted to be that person that could set up the strength program for them and say, this sort of resistance, resistance training, this sort of strength training will help you. It's the same concept for runners. When we have people coming in, wanting to get back to their running, being able to tell them that certain exercises will help strengthen muscle groups that are weaker not necessarily strengthening the muscle groups that are already strong, but strengthening what's weak to help everything be nice, well-rounded and overall strong is what really makes a big difference. I agree. And I think one of the problems we have, I've said this in an email, is that we're present bias, which means we're just focused on us right now or next week. And like injury prevention is a massive, massive benefit to regular resistance training. And that goes for all age groups. Again, something we've seen, like we, we do have uh, all the people in training with us in ATP and it's amazing because when, when they start, they absolutely love it. And it becomes even more important as you get older to do reg regular resistance training. But it's just, again, to that age bracket, it's new. It's something that wasn't really a thing uh, back, back when they were younger. But like Kevin O'Regan, our physio that we work with, like he calls himself a firefighter. So he helps them with the day or no injury mm -hmm. but then he sends it on to us because he believes and a lot of physios i know that i've worked with before believe that prevention is true building up to our muscles around that injury and that's the that's the best thing so we need to start thinking of our future selves and not just us right now and that's where a lot of people fail in the four and six weeks they're like if i don't get the result in the next four or six weeks but if they instead if they start thinking what about me in a year's time or in five years time or yeah. in 10 years time? And that can be a scary thing because a lot of us are winging away through life, but we're winging away with some sort of direction when you do start thinking about future you. And that's something we touched on beforehand. Uh, when we were talking, it was kind of, Roman mentioned 
the pressure to be perfect and the pressure to be somebody um, that somebody else thinks you should be. I think that's a really strong uh, statement. And so it is going to get a bit deep from here. But um, I think we have to start considering what it is we want from ourselves. And that's not us as a teenager or in our 20s. This is no matter who you are or what age you are. You need to ask yourself, like, are you happy within yourself? Uh, is what you're doing daily fulfilling you in some way? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think if the answer is no, it's about reviewing that and seeing where you're at. So the pressure to be perfect and the pressure to be something that I suppose you, you think you should be. I think that's a, that's a good way of putting that is like, you know, do you actually want that thing? Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I've kind of, that I've been dealing with because of COVID itself. Like I, in my head, my mother, my mother's English. My dad is American. My mom went over to America for two years at the start um, as a nurse. She wanted to do two years of work in the States and then she was going to return home to England in that two years time. She was very fortunate enough to meet my dad. And so she stayed in the States. So I've always had a bit of a hybrid family model. So again, in my head growing up, always bought plane tickets to go see nanny and granddad in England, went to see family in Bermuda. I always thought, right, in order to see family, you buy a plane ticket. So naturally when I met my fiance, fiance is Irish said, okay, yes, I will move over there. Cause in my head, I picture perfect. I was like, right. I have to move to Ireland because we've got to have one part of the family living in a different country. Absolutely not. Um, but when I moved over here, COVID hit, I, at the time was fully lined up to start work as a personal trainer in a gym. I was almost done finishing my nutrition coaching qualification. So I was ready to roll with my business and then everything just plopped down. And so ended up doing a lot of sitting in the first few months that I was here, but I had that pressure on myself. I had built up pressure on myself to move, to be successful in a secondary career and to become the best coach I could be and to still be able to go home, to not miss any of the family events because that was picture perfect in my head. And my picture was burnt to crap because of COVID. And it, I became more than just performing, performing Bronwyn never pictured myself as a teacher. Like I studied, we had to do one term of teaching methods in uni and I hated it. I did not picture myself teaching dance at all. All of a sudden this teaching opportunity fell into, fell into my lap and I said, I'd be silly not to take it. So I became a teacher, not something I pictured. <laughs> um, I started working at a gym in town and I worked with a wide variety of clientele. I worked with people who were personal trainers and looking for outside accountability. I worked with, you know, middle-aged women who were entering menopause and very confused as to how their bodies were changing. So I became a trainer to them. And then I was working with performers and former performers with my online coaching. Mm -hmm. So I became like a coach to all these different people. I became a teacher to different people. I realized too, that the way that I am now is a different image for my family. I'm a different person. And that's growth that they haven't been able to see in front of their faces because I've been I'm across an ocean, but it's, 
in different ways, like the pressure has been taken off because I'm a different person to different groups of people. So I feel like even though performer Bronwyn has taken a back seat for the time being, I still love dancing. I still love like going down to the circus factory down by the marina market and taking like circus classes. But performing for me is not the move at this point in time. There's other outlets that I've been able to channel that has been really refreshing. And it's been great to have that pressure taken off of me to perform because I feel like now that pressure is gone. I'm able to refocus on health and wellness in a different capacity than I would have. I would have focused on gym training to make sure I was in tip top shape Mm. and long and lean (laughs) and toned for Pete's sake. I wasn't focusing on it for injury prevention. It took me an injury to finally realize that strength training is for injury prevention. And that's what's going to keep me strong and healthy as I continue to shape shift. I'm going to be a wife someday. I'm hopefully going to be a mother someday. Your fitness and your wellness takes on an entirely different meaning when you become a parent. And when you become a parent, you become a teacher to teenagers. I realize I'm teaching a very impressionable age. And we're teaching adults in our gym in a very impressionable age. And it's a very online age. There's a lot of stuff on social media. There's a lot of things online floating around that are like, listen to this. Don't do that. Do this. Stay away from that. But I think one thing that we've created that's been really great is the Feel Great program. It's a firm foundation for people to go from. And it's nothing. (laughs) It is nothing putting pressure on the fact of like losing weight to feel great. It is more so putting pressure on the fact of balance your lifestyle, balance all your different hats, do the basics, and that will keep you going in the long run. But yeah, it's, oh, it's mental. Like, I suppose the biggest thing that you said there, uh, you've used the word shapeshifter a couple of times. I think that's a really interesting point to make. Uh, and we spoke with this beforehand about identity and different identities that we all hold. And we don't have just one identity. We have many identities. But where we see kind of problems is when a certain identity is pulled away from you or is lost for whatever reason. So when you associate, if you thought, yourself, if I asked you, listen to this, tell me who you are and you start with I am and whatever comes out in those first couple of words is who you see yourself as and I think the hierarchy and how you say it will also determine where you see it as as importance uh, so your identity is going to change and your identity probably has changed a lot even Brahman has spoken like COVID has been an absolute shit show for so many people and it's changed the entire world it's changed all of us mentally uh, as well as physically something for, for a lot of people but accepting that it was a pandemic. And I think what's happened is people have kind of, it's almost become the norm mm-hmm. that we're forgetting it's, we're still actually in a pandemic. So whatever you've done to get to here has worked for you. So putting yourself under necessary pressure to be a certain way for somebody else is never going to work. You have to figure out when you say, I am, are you the person that you actually want to be? And that's going to be very important, but it's okay to be a number of different things. You used a word I wrote down there uh, and you said you work with high performing people like moms and dads. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really, really good thing to say because when we think of high performers, we think of athletes and we think of all these people, but high performing is 
looking after our kids, looking after yourself. You're like you're high performing every day, no matter what you do. And I think yeah. people need to recognize that we are very slow. I don't think it's just an Irish thing. I think it's a human thing to compliment ourselves and tell ourselves we're doing a good job. We'll tell our friends we're doing a good job. We'll tell our family members that they're doing a good job. When it comes to ourselves, we're the last to give ourselves a compliment. Yes. So what I would say is the person listening to this, if you feel there's a bit of an identity crisis in the guards, something has changed or some, some part of your identity has gone. If you were, I know someone who was an accountant for years and has just left their job with no idea what they're going to do. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's scary, but to grow, you have to get uncomfortable. And I think if you're not willing to get uncomfortable, you will never be able to achieve what you actually want because staying where we are is very comfortable. Whether it's the right thing to do, that's for you to determine because like your job, I think your job is fulfilling. My job, I find very fulfilling. Uh, but what I spoke about earlier is that if your job does, your job doesn't have to be the be all and all it doesn't have to be your everything, but you have to have something that, that fulfills you and that makes you feel really good. If that for you is doing an activity, you know, and that, that when you do that, you feel fantastic. You really feel like it's what you should be doing and your job allows you to do that that pays your way so that you can do that then that's part of allowing you to be fulfilled mm-hmm. if your fulfillment comes from raising your kids or teaching or whatever it is if you're, if you're that whatever that fulfillment is whatever your job does to allow you to do that then that's great because i think where people get lost is they think everybody should have a job that's 100 fulfilling and it's the best job and it makes them feel really good every single day that's that's what i think is wrong i think i, I feel privileged and lucky that my job gives me that fulfillment yeah but I said, if you get that feeling I have with my job that someone gets from doing something else, then that's okay. Like, you know, and I think that's where people get lost because I am a lot of different things. Yeah. And since COVID, I have changed. Like some, some of the things that I was, I am no longer. Some of the things that I am now, I would have thought I'd never be. Um, but until you're willing to actually delve deep and ask yourself, what do I really want now, but also what I want in five years' time, you're just going to be going around in circles. And you're right in saying that it comes from a place of discomfort. Like COVID was uncomfortable for all of us, <laughs> but it comes from a place of uncom- you know, uncomfortable growth. That's a, that's a term that we've used a lot. And like you said, it's not an Irish thing. It's definitely a thing in the States as well. We are, we are our own like worst enemies, as in we don't build ourselves up. We are so quick to build up the people around us we're quick to build up our children, our siblings. Um, for us, we're quick to build up our clients, taking a step back and saying, you know, build yourself up for a second. And I think that's the biggest thing that has come from COVID is there's, again, this refocusing of people, you know, having their me time. Like we have loads of clients coming in now. And like you mentioned previously as well, the training is not just about losing weight or hitting a new PR in something, it's about the mental relief that you get for half an hour out of your day. And that half an hour to yourself translates into how yourself projects into every other little pocket of your life. Like you said, you're a coach, you're a partner, you're a golfer, you're a dog dad, you know, you're all this stuff. And the way that you take care of yourself shows up in every aspect of how your life continues on in each of those different facilities. Like, I mean, when our, some of our clients come in, they come in and I'm like, okay, 
this is client C, you know, client C, I know client C as a primary school teacher, but little do we know getting to know client C better, client C is a primary teacher, a parent of two and really enjoys going out and coaching GA, you know, but we learn all these little things and each of those little aspects of you, they're different. There are different things to plug into, but you can't, you can't plug anyone else into that role. You have to plug yourself into that role. If yourself is not well taken care of, how is yourself going to show up for that group of people that you interact with or you work with? Absolutely. And I agree. And that's something, again, you know, it's something we've seen a number of times. It's easier said than done that, you know, putting yourself first, that's not being selfish. That's being selfless in my opinion yes. because if you put yourself first and this is coming from somebody who you know i obviously like i don't have any kids because i know it's a different setting when i talk to parents about this yes. it's always the kids first but what i mean is like you know making sure you're looking after your own physical and mental health because if that's not right if that's not good the people around you are not going to benefit so the people around you are going to suffer because you're suffering so you might think putting yourself first is a selfish thing to do but it's really not because if you're in a good place mentally and physically by looking after yourself, by giving yourself a few hours a week to do what you want to do, those around you are going to be happier because you're now happy in yourself. There's something I've always said before is that like, you know, when someone's mean, you obviously like stupid comments on Facebook, like, you know, a client of ours was getting kind of trolled on Facebook uh, recently. And I was explaining to her, I was like, when someone's mean, you should feel sorry for that person because that person is not happy in themselves because anybody who's happy in themselves will not be mean to another person. And I find that if someone is mean to me or is, is gets angry at me, shouts at me, is annoyed at me a lot of the time, sometimes it is my fault sometimes, <laughs> but, but most of the time it's because that person is on the edge and they're just, they've had enough and it's it, you're, you're the outlet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what I would suggest is like, you know, if you find you are being that person who is maybe not being really nice to those around you, maybe have a look at why you're not, why you're unhappy or what's causing that unhappiness. And until you kind of do that for yourself, like a lot of self self exploration is so uncomfortable. Like nobody wants to do it. Like nobody wants to do it, but by exploring, why do I feel this way? What can I do to make things feel better? By doing that, you're going to see a massive improvement in relationship with yourself and with others. And I think there's a really good, uh, I'll paraphrase because I'm not sure. I think it's Eleanor Roosevelt said, like if you realize how little people think of you about you you'd be absolutely surprised because people don't really care but you think people care a lot I mean that's really important is that like you, you do things because this person thinks or I have to look a certain way because they might think people are so concerned myself included with themselves mm. we're concerned with ourselves so much that we're really thinking about other people if that makes sense but we're not concerned about ourselves and taking care of ourselves, we're concerned about ourselves in everybody else's eyes. Yes. We're not concerned about ourselves in our own eyes. And that's the most frustrating thing. And that's like, when you said, you know, when you think of yourself, I am blah, blah, blah. Being uncomfortable with that changing as we go through our life is really important too, but you have to be comfortable with yourself in your eyes. Stop worrying about yourself in other people's eyes because that doesn't matter like I could tell I really stress that to the students that I work with in secondary school and you know 
they're teenagers. They look at me, they're all taller than me. They roll their eyes. And it's like, okay, fine. You will remember this when you're in your late twenties, your mid thirties, your late forties. Like you will remember this, but if, if anything, just that refocusing on yourself and learning to see yourself and be comfortable with yourself and the changes that yourself is going through in your own eyes, you will learn again that people think so little of you (laughs) because they're too busy thinking about themselves and everybody else's eyes. Like it's just this constant back and forth, big circle of not being comfortable with ourselves. I completely agree. And like, again, just love a good quote. Jamie Alderton is a guy I follow and it's something similar as well. Uh, and it's something that I met him a couple of years ago at a fitness summit. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of struggling with like, you know, posting to social media and you hard to believe now, you know, but posting <laughs> social media and, and being given my opinion yeah. of this is what I think. And he said to me, he's like, Ian, nobody cares. And you were to do two things with that. You either do nothing because nobody cares mm-hmm. or you do whatever the hell you want because nobody cares. And I decided to go with whatever the hell I want. Yeah. And I think that's a much better approach. And again, it's like, it's, it, that's not like a bad thing to think that nobody cares. I don't mean nobody cares about you, but I think like people are like, are focused on driving themselves on, you know, lo- looking after their own small little circle of people in their lives. Like that's what people are focused on. So you're there afraid to make a move or to make a change in case somebody thinks this. Yes. It's all about what you really want in your life. Yeah. Uh, and that, that can be in any aspect of your life, whether it's your career, whether it's in, in your how you look or how you feel or whatever it's that's what's going to matter so i think it's really important to take away from this podcast is you know if you're a busy person if you're somebody who's a high performer which i absolutely love that that then calling a high performer to you said it without knowing it but for me it's what struck me uh you know parent the dad like a a busy working person we are all high performers Mm -hmm. in our own way and i think recognize that give yourself a pat on the back because you know what life has been really difficult over the last year and a half and we you've performed really well to get to here uh, and keep performing because Brahmin has shown you her journey and we make mistakes we get bad advice you know and we follow that advice sometimes and you see it again a lot with diets and stuff like people will just follow bad advice because that's the advice it's off a trusted what they would see as a trusted source which you've gotten i said before when it comes to training and nutrition when you were a young dancer Uh, but find somebody you trust and make sure it's you recognize they know what they're talking about and from there decide what you want to achieve because if you don't have a clear goal then you've no direction in what way you want to head so from this podcast today, Abraham, what I'd hope you take from it is that there is no pressure to be perfect. The only pressure you're putting on is from yourself. I do it myself at times as well. Mm-hmm. But recognize that you can actually change if you want to. And don't be afraid to because of what somebody else might think. If Bram wants to change for yourself, don't change for other people ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's and it's always come to like I think a big thing that's shifted for me as I was realizing that I didn't want to deal with the pressure of performing anymore was that you need to come with that sense of questioning for yourself but also for where you're seeking your advice so when you're coming you know when you're desperate you're desperate for any sort of help 
or, or tips or crash course or results, ask questions. And if those questions cannot be answered by the human or the source that you're seeking advice from, it's not the right source because you, you want something that's interactive because this is something that you're going to come back to. This source is something that you're going to come back to because you're comfortable with it and you're comfortable with utilizing it as a tool for your own growth. But, and that growth shows up in the way that you project yourself to other people, to your families as a high performer, you know, to your families and your workplace with your friends in your social settings, in your activity settings, no matter what they may be. Um, but just always coming with that sense of questioning. Don't be afraid to ask questions because those questions help you and they help you be a better version of you. And that is the podcast from us. I want to thank Brahman for taking the time to, to speak to us today. I do hope you take something from the podcast. If you did enjoy it, please give it a share, tag ATP Fitness Cork, and let us know how you got on. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.